MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club for Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. This book is by former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig, who worked at the Southern District of New York for a long time. Today, we're covering pages 78 to 126, including the chapters entitled Michael Flynn, Protect the Process, Roger Stone, and Independence. And uh, I really need to encourage you to buy this book if you haven't, because there is a lot of stuff that I leave out. And the writing here is really incredible, especially these kind of anecdotes that Ellie puts in the front of a lot of chapters to illustrate some of the core concepts of the Justice Department. So you definitely want to get this book or use one of your 12 credits on Audible that I know you all have sitting there doing nothing. And uh, take a listen. Uh, this, this chapter going here, starting with uh, the Michael Flynn chapter, opens with Ellie, one of these stories, reminding us, first of all, that Flynn was cooperating, all nice-nice, until someone or something convinced him to blow up his guilty plea and hire infamous Kraken idiot Sidney Powell. Now, in a normal Department of Justice, that would have meant trouble for Flynn, including a longer prison sentence that he probably would have otherwise avoided had he kept his plea deal in place with his normal lawyers. But it's clear to me and many others, by the way, that because he was floated a pardon as part of a plot to obstruct justice by the former president, he felt he no longer had to hold to the sanity of the really good plea agreement. And Ellie points out that it was Bill Barr abusing his power to help Flynn, to help make sure that Flynn wouldn't spend a night in prison. Now, as we know, Flynn pled guilty for the first time, because <laughs> he did this twice, in December of 2017. I remember it clearly, December 18th, 2017, for lying to the FBI. Ellie explains there are two kinds of guilty pleas. The first is a straight plea, where the person basically just admits the crime and in return gets a bit of a shorter sentence. We've seen this play out in the early pleadings of the insurrectionists that participated in the attack on the Capitol January 6th. The second type of cooperation agreement is where the defendant pleads guilty to crimes in a formal charging document called an information. And we've seen this a lot. And every time we see it, we're like, "Ooh, they're cooperating. And it doesn't 100 percent mean they're cooperating. They're just waiving their right to an indictment. But that's generally what it means. And as we know, a cooperator has to spill all the beans and they cannot lie or they get charged for everything. And they have to talk about every single crime. And in fact, Joel Greenberg, who is that uh, tax county tax collector in Seminole County, who is an associate of Matt Gates, actually just recently asked for an extension on his sentencing, saying, I have so much to tell you and I have to tell you all of it. Otherwise, I could, you know, be charged for everything I've I've done, all 33 counts, which was reduced to seven. 
uh, and I don't have time by mid-August here to do that. So I need more time. So that's a cooperator italicized, right? And this, uh, you know, the, these kinds of cooperators get what Ellie calls a 5K letter. This is often referred to as the golden ring, the most powerful thing a defendant can have at their sentencing hearing. Ellie gives some examples, including Sammy the Bull Gravano, who's been used as an example in tons of opinions about the Mueller probe. We've talked about him multiple times on the Mueller She Wrote podcast and the Daily Beans. And we don't know what info, well, we do a little bit, but we don't know info, what info or who Flynn gave up in his year-long cooperation. For example, we do know about the Bijan Keon, where he and, and him, he and Bijan, kind of Bijan Keon, also known as Bijan Rafikian, uh, lobbied on behalf of Turkey uh, without registering with the Attorney General, without the Department of Justice. That's a crime, right? We don't know if it was going to be a charge as a 951, which is espionage light, or just a violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act. We've talked about the difference there because that's what Tom Barrick's being charged with, right? It's a, it's a FARA violation, but it's a 951 espionage light. It's what Maria Butina was charged with. And instead of a regular FARA violation, which can get you up to five years, that if you're acting on behalf under direction of foreign officials, of foreign governments, uh, th then you can be charged with 951, which carries up to 20 years. Much bigger deal. Now, anyway, uh, that's, the, that's a 5K letter. That's a golden ring. Uh, but Mueller wrote a 5K letter to the court in the Flynn case saying he had provided, Flynn had provided particularly valuable, substantial information relevant to several ongoing investigations. Several. But then, as listeners of Mueller, she wrote, no, Flynn showed signs of changing his guilty plea and blew up his deal. Ellie goes on to discuss what could have caused Flynn to back out. And when contemplating that question, it always helps, Ellie says, to think about who stands to gain from a blown guilty plea. In this case, it was the former president, because we all know that when Flynn lied to the FBI, he did so because he had several contacts with the Trump team and possibly Trump himself, either directly but definitely indirectly, at least through KT McFarlane, regarding his chats with Sergei Kislyak about sanctions and a conspiracy to hold a vote in the United Nations Security Council. Now, Dowd, who looks like Droopy Dog, was one of the first persons to push Flynn to stop cooperating. He called Flynn's lawyers. Remember this? Shortly after, they told the White House they could no longer communicate, which is a sign of cooperation, by the way, when you pull out of a joint defense agreement, a JDA. Uh, anyway, so Dowd <laughs> called up uh, Flynn's lawyers, left a voicemail saying, hey, and I'm paraphrasing, I think you're cooperating with the government. Uh, if what you're telling Mueller implicates the president, we could have a national security issue on our hands. So we're going to need you to give us a heads up if you're going to do that and what you're telling them. And if you're helping Mueller, uh, that means war, and I'll have to tell Trump. Then he reminded the lawyers, hey, by the way, Trump can pardon people, right? He likes. He can pardon people he likes. And he likes Flynn s still so far. So, yeah, that's uh, what the voicemail basically was. And I'll never understand why and how Dowd wasn't arrested for that or charged with obstruction of justice or witness tampering, unless they're still investigating. Who knows? But it was the night Trump learned about Flynn's cooperation, that he had this weird-ass loyalty dinner with Comey. Remember that? <laughs> when Trump learned about Flynn's cooperation, he sat down with Comey, just the two of them, candlelit dinner. Uh, and then a couple days later, he talked to Chris Christie. Chris Christie said... You know, he said, hey, I fired Flynn. The Russia thing's over. And Chris Christie's like, nah, dude, it's just starting. You firing Flynn doesn't make your Russia problem go away, dude. And after that chat, Trump pulled Comey aside and said, hey, can you see your way clear to let this whole Flynn thing go? All of that is outlined beautifully in the volume two of the Mueller report. But ultimately, Flynn blinked and he blew up his cooperation deal. 
which would have ended very badly for him if Trump hadn't completed his ultimate obstruction of justice by pardoning Flynn. Next, on page 87, we get to Barr's role in this. The Department of Justice typically prosecutes more than 80,000 defendants in over 60,000 cases per year. And of those, Barr sought a dismissal of charges for one guy. One guy. Mike Flynn. In fact, nobody, including Barr, could cite one other case where an attorney general stepped in to recommend charges be dismissed for someone that pled guilty. And he pled guilty twice. Barr justified the move a few times, once by saying, I'm ultimately accountable for every decision the department makes. And then in the Wall Street Journal, uh, in an interview with them, he claimed the Flynn investigation was entirely bogus. And Ellie says that beyond the politics, Barr got the Flynn case wrong legally. Just wrong. He says, quote, DOJ's motion to dismiss the Flynn case is garbage, an illogical mess that shows no understanding of the law or prosecutorial practice. It was full of citations that didn't quite get to the point, you know, and had conclusions based on smoke and mirrors. We talked about a lot of these. Like, that citation doesn't apply here, and you're drawing conclusions based on illogical concepts. It made no sense. It's just being propped up by, I don't know, bridge trolls and cigarettes. And that's when Judge Sullivan recruited retired Judge Gleason to submit an amicus brief on behalf of the people of the United States. Since the Department of Justice pulled out, nobody was representing us anymore. And may I urge you to take a moment, hit pause, go read that brief. It is one of the best legal filings I've read since I started covering Trump Russia. It's in my top five. That one, I think my other favorite one is the, the Judge Amy Berman Jackson a decision on whether or not to release the corrupt Bill Barr memo from March of 2019, where they discussed whether or not to bring obstruction of justice charges. Her her filing is fire. And so is the Gleason one. Now, Barr actually argued that Flynn's lies to the FBI were immaterial, not material, because there had been no legitimate basis to investigate Flynn in the first place. And the core of that is that's just wrong on so many levels. First, there was a legitimate basis <laughs> to investigate Flynn. He lied about discussions with Kislyak regarding sanctions. And, and we always know the cover-up is worse than the crime, right? But the Bureau learned that Flynn told Kislyak to go easy on sanctions, then lied to Pence, Mike Pence. The FBI had plenty of predication to question Flynn, so that's bullshit. Uh, and then, you know, secondly, you just you can't lie to the FBI. That's a crime. That's just a crime. Uh, eventually, the courts resisted Barr's position. A three-judge panel said, OK, we'll dismiss. But then that went uh, on bonk member and they were like, fuck no. So the only way to get Flynn off the hook was a pardon, which happened in late November of 2020. So uh, if uh, statute of limitations, this is just me interjecting here, means anything, that if that were the last act in a long act of obstruction of justice things, November 2020 means November 2025 is when that statute of limitations expires for the pardon. All right, uh, let's see. Ellie concludes that Barr broke the core tenet of a true prosecutor by undercutting the actual prosecutors on the case in broad view of the public. In other words, Barr shattered the podium privilege we discussed in a previous chapter. Quote, Mike Flynn never did complete his cooperation, and it took a Bill Barr shiv to the backs of his own line prosecutors to help ensure that no harm befell Flynn. Now, it will be interesting to see if any other fruits of the Flynn cooperation that may have been handed off to other departments, like, for example, the Tom Barrett case was part of the Rick Gates cooperation that was handed off. It'd be interesting to see if any other things Flynn was cooperating on bubble to the surface 
under this new attorney general, out from the blanket. The stifling, stifling blanket of Bill Barr. All right, on to the next chapter. This one starts on page 97. It's called Protect the Process. And this goes over what process crimes are, what people sort of downplay process crimes as. And it opens with another amazing Ellie anecdote from the middle of his trial of Angelo Nicosia. That's an associate of the Genovese crime family. Now, Ellie heard their witness against Nicosia screaming through the big metal door of the witness room because he was didn't want to testify about a shakedown where the Genovese family was demanding tens of thousands of dollars, sent a goon to smash a glass coffee pot over the head of a contractor, uh, the contractor's business partner, and then Nicosia himself took the guys, the you know, these people, to a restaurant, threatened to cut the guy's fingers off, and then the guy ended up paying up 50 large to the to the family. The contractor had agreed to testify. This is the contractor screaming in the room saying he's not going to do it. He's having really loud second thoughts. I'm not going out there. I'm not doing it. I don't care. You could throw me in jail. And Ellie was about to step in and say, too bad, so sad, you're here. But his trial partner named Lisa Zornberg like shot him a look and said, let me do this. And she said, listen, look, I know it's not easy, but the law is entitled to your evidence. We need it. The courts need it. The jury needs to hear it. And then she said, would it help if I gave you a hug? The guy ended up testifying. And his terrified, sweaty demeanor, by the way, really helped prosecution's case. And, and that's one of the things about the mob. They love to obstruct justice, the wink and the nod, right? And here's where Ellie reveals the point of this story. The people who don't understand justice refer to obstruction of justice, those types of crimes, as process crimes threatening witnesses, obstructing justice, lying to the FBI. We've heard the downplaying of these types of crimes as process crimes by Trump and his associates a lot. But a real prosecutor knows, Ellie says, that these crimes strike at the very heart of the justice system because they compromise the rules of the game. Judges know this, too. Barr himself, Ellie admits, gets a partial pass on this because he never explicitly used the phrase process crimes. I bet he was asked to, (laughs) but he didn't. He only gets partial credit, though, because he certainly threw shade in that direction, says, says Ellie. One example was in his September 2020 speech when he defended his interference in the Flynn case and the Stone case by casting doubt on the legitimacy of the investigations in the first place. In, in those, by doing that, Barr draws a distinction between quote-unquote real crimes and true crimes and just lying about them. But again, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. It shows consciousness of guilt. It strikes at the heart of our justice system. And Stone was intimidating witnesses. Remember Credico? He said he was going to go after his dog. Those aren't, those are, those are <laughs> true crimes because they changed the rules of the game. And with that, speaking of Stone, we're on to the Roger Stone chapter. It starts on page 103. And we know the story well, especially those that have been listening to Mueller, she wrote. This chapter opens with Barr being cornered during his July 2020 testimony. This is one year after the Mueller report shenanigans. July 2020, because just a few months earlier, in February, Barr had undercut the Stone sentencing recommendation by his own line prosecutors, once again abusing his podium privilege. That move actually prompted all four prosecutors to resign from the case. But in that July 2020 testimony, Swalwell asked, do you believe a president could lawfully issue a pardon in exchange for the recipient's promise not to incriminate him? You said that would be a crime. Barr agreed. Then he agreed if he saw something like that happen, he would do something about it. And then Swalwell says, are you investigating Donald Trump for commuting the prison sentence of Roger Stone? And Barr said, no. And he goes, why not? And Barr said, why should I? And then Swalwell laid out, why should I? (laughs) 
<laughs> basically what we all just heard. Elio says Squalwell should have done this before he dropped the bomb question, you know, being, are you investigating Donald Trump for the stone thing? But he does it after. He lays it out beautifully and says, how can you sit here and tell us why should I investigate Trump if you're not even aware of the facts? Because when Swalwell laid it all out, Barr was like, I didn't see any of those tweets. I didn't know anything about that. And Swalwell's like, well, then how can you tell us that you're sure you shouldn't investigate Trump if you're not aware of the facts? You've got to know all the facts. Barr got all flustered and said he requires a reliable predicate before he opens a criminal investigation. And I guess, you know, plug in your ears and go, la, 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 uh, I guess sort of lets you off the hook for seeing or hearing reliable predicate, criminal predicate. <laughs> Barr admits later on that he saw those tweets, by the way. I'll get into that in a minute. But Ellie says, if any phrase perfectly encapsulate Barr's tenure as attorney general, it's why should I? But Ellie says, what did he mean by why should I? Does he mean, why should I? I don't have any evidence. Or does he mean, why should I? I'm the attorney general and I can do what I want and there's nothing you can do about it. I think it's the second one. In fact, it was hours after Trump's tweet about the stone, quote, miscarriage of justice that Barr had someone from the Justice Department file that supplemental amended sentencing motion. Signed, isn't it? John Crabb Jr., by the way, who signed it. But it, Barr said it went through him. And after all that, Barr defending his, defended his decision by saying, well, the judge agreed with me on the sentencing, pointing to the fact that Judge Jackson sentenced Stone to 40 months. But she did so, noting that what Barr did was unprecedented and the politics played no role in her sentencing decision. And we all kind of predicted she'd give a lower sentence than the original recommended time because that's what happens most of the time. And in this book here, Ellie cites tons of examples and gives statistics to back that up. So check it out. But in the middle of all this, Ellie said Barr did show a little backbone in an interview with ABC on Feb in February of 2020, right after Barr stuck his stupid face in the stone sentencing ordeal. He said... I think it's time to stop tweeting about the Department of Justice's criminal cases. Remember when he's like, very making it very hard to do my job. And that, to me, is the admission that he knew about Trump's tweets and was responding to them when he intervened in the Stone case, even though he denied it to Swalwell. But that rhetoric was empty, and Trump kept tweeting about the Justice Department, and Barr sat back and did nothing about it. And finally, we come to the chapter called Independence, which is basically outlining the idea of the Southern District of New York being known as the Sovereign District of New York and its reputation for being so independent that it essentially functions as its own entity. Ellie details, first of all, what makes SDNY so unique, saying that in just a few square miles, they've got the great melting pot of federal crime. He says we've got Wall Street traders, bank executives, public officials, the mafia, and not just the Italian mafia, but Albanian, Chinese, and Russian mafia, we have street gangs, gun running, skyline targets for terrorists. Uh, and he says, quote, at the SDNY, you didn't just prosecute crime, you strolled right through it. And the notion of the Southern District's independence captures three broad concepts, according to Ellie. First concept, Southern District is traditionally resistant to and independent from main justice supervision. He gives a lot of examples here. Second is that the Southern District's power to... Um, bring pretty much any case that sees fit is there, regardless of traditional geographical or jurisdictional limitations. And he gives some examples. For example, Ellie talks about the trial against a group of Queens-based mobsters, which would fall in the Eastern District of New York in Queens, but they had venue because one of the defendants made a single phone call from a payphone in Manhattan. 
And third, and most importantly, the Southern District does not do partisan politics. And here, Ellie just gives a litany of examples of people across political spectrums that the SDNY prosecuted. That sees no blue, no red, just the law. And it was for all these reasons that the Southern District of New York posed, and still poses, I'd like to add, a threat to Trump and those around him. I'm thinking Rudy. Hi, Rudy. So how did Bill Barr bring the Southern District to heel? Indeed. And we'll go into that next week when we cover pages 126 through 160, beginning with the chapter called the SDNY Takeover. So again, everybody, thank you for listening. Pick up the book. You want to read these stories. It's just so well written. I'm really enjoying it, and I hope you join me next week on the MSW Book Club for uh, these next chapters. Again, pages 126 through 160. Until then, uh, I'm A.G., and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter, and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.